the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Bruce Hooley Show podcast is brought to you by HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Creating jobs and restoring dignity one cup at a time. Good coffee doing good. Learn more at HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. You are listening to The Bruce Hooley Show at a new time. The show now airs 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Dennis Prager comes up at 1 p.m. Our day starts with Hugh Hewitt, 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. Then Mike Gallagher, he hands it off to me. I hand it to Hugh Hewitt, followed by Seb Gorka, and then Charlie Kirk in my old time slot, 5 to 7. We are joined in studio by Omar Tarazi. Uh, Omar is a Hilliard attorney. He is a member of Hilliard City Council. He ran for the Republican nomination in the 15th Congressional District. That race was won by Mike Carey for the right to run in the fall and uh, hopefully succeed Steve Stivers, uh, we've talked about uh, a lot of interesting things, tribalism and, you know, being married to, I guess, our our power as opposed to common values. I'd be curious to know, first of all, I don't want to cut you off on making any kind of a wrap-up point to what we were talking about before the break, but then I would like to get into your experiences running and what it taught you about how our government is structured, how far the reality is from the ideal. Right. Um, and also, like, what do we do about it? Yeah. What do we do about all this stuff? And my answer essentially is um, going back to how I define faith. Uh, faith is basically, in my mind, or at least the way I'm going to define it, is um, beliefs that are maybe, um, if you think about it rationally, are false, but are true the more people believe that they're true. And I'm talking about as it relates to society. So um, if in society... Um, uh, if you believe that everybody around you is truthful and honest and everybody else believes that, you end up with a society that's very different than if everybody believes that, oh, we're all just a bunch of schmucks out for ourselves and so forth. So it's the ability to, if you look right now and you see Washington and everything else, objectively speaking, you'd say this is impossible. We're just going to go straight downhill. It's all falling apart. Uh, or you would say, hey, we can never work with Republicans They're all, or Democrats or whatever. They're all just in their uh, corner. Everybody's just obsessed in their, in their ideas. There's no hope. But, uh, and it might objectively be true. But if you choose to believe otherwise and say, no, 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 you know what? I'm going to choose to believe that we can work with each other. We can prioritize our schools or, mm-hmm. and, and, and uh, you know, our communities and, and make things happen. And uh, that belief is contagious. Uh, other people start believing it, and the more people start believing that, no, we can actually solve these problems and actually work together and actually make ourselves prosperous in, for our next generation, the more that changes the cynicism. You're combating the cynicism of Washington because Washington is 100% cynical. It's all about power. Yeah. Everything is in that lens. And I'm saying, look, we can start a movement that focuses on servant leadership and a belief that, no, actually— you know, we can work together. Why? Who says that Muslims and Christians and different groups can't, or, or Democrats, Republicans, whatever, mm-hmm. we can't prioritize our, you know, our, 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 our future as a country and, and hold people accountable and, and make change? Um, so I think that that's a big piece of the puzzle. To the degree people are willing to believe in the possibility that they, right now, if you ask them, they say it's a physically impossible. I so. think they say that because 
they see people in power who have power, who mm-hmm. love power, and who are not committed because I hear in you a commitment to servant leadership. That purposeful decision to say, hmm, doesn't feel like that person wants to work with me. I'm tempted to write him off, but I'm going to choose to believe that we can do this, that we can get past our differences and press forward and not just retreat in frustration and tribalism when I get repelled initially. You, I think, have experienced that firsthand. You had a genuine, heartfelt desire. I know you made personal sacrifices to run for Congress, and it didn't end the way you wanted it to end. So having undertaken that, you've been slapped down for figuratively. How have you maintained your enthusiasm for doing what you want to accomplish? And what did you learn going through that process? Well, and I think that nobody ever changes anything by themselves, and no, and no uh, undertaking of changing culture happens in overnight. So that's, you know, you have to be very realistic. So yes, I ran, I gave it everything possible, but um, I'm not, you know, by no means, I believe in the mission, essentially, okay. and I'm changing that on the local level, and I'll change it anywhere as far up as I'm allowed to get in any di- place I'm allowed to get. I'll be working on changing the culture in the direction that I'm seeing, because in my view, you know, Columb- uh, Columbus culture is completely messed up. Uh, the state house culture is completely messed up, uh, and the national level, and and it's going to take a lot of us working together, choosing to uh, adopt a view that yes, rationally it's impossible, but we're going to choose it's possible anyway, and have faith that essentially God will help us, or you know that that the belief, faith in each other, faith in the goodness of each other. And I think this is one of the most corrosive things that we all should stand against is that that the, the other side, or there are the leftist side specifically is very well aware of how ideas kind of become cancerous and spread uh, throughout mm-hmm. society. And so when you're spreading ideas, like, for example, that you can't trust the cops, let's pick one bad example from, uh, you know, 800,000 cops throughout mm-hmm. the country, one bad example, therefore, you can't trust anything. The decision to break the faith of the people in law enforcement it doesn't mean you can't work to change. But once you kind of create distrust between people, society falls apart. Your democracy doesn't work. The democracy only works to the degree that people have faith that everybody else pretty much is in the same boat with good intentions. Mm-hmm. If you're all approaching it from the perspective of everybody's out for themselves and, and, and it's just a game of using words to manipulate people for your own gain, then you create a society that's essentially ungovernable, which is where we're going. Yeah. And when it's an ungovernable, you lose your, your, your republic. Uh, Omar Tarazi, our in-studio guest. Omar ran for the 15th Congressional District Republican seat. Uh, he is a Hilliard attorney. He is on Hilliard City Council. He's a leader in our community, and I, I'm really uh, uh, very glad you're here to articulate these viewpoints. Um, I am most disappointed when I see, quote-unquote, Columbus faith leaders not leading but ratcheting up the very kind of uh, phenomenon you just talked about, the accentuating the exception as the norm. And in undertaking a leadership training that I've found to be amazing in my life, it's called transformational leadership. I'd encourage anyone to undertake it. One of the first concepts they voiced that I was like, no, that's not right. They said it only takes 3 to 5% of a culture to change a culture a very committed 3 to 5%. And I thought, there's no way that can happen. But I've seen it in a bad way with Black Lives Matter, with the 
with the uh, exponential magnification of the Derek Chauvin incident with George Floyd. So if it can happen in a bad way, it can happen in a good way. How do we lead that? How do we get involved in that? How do we make that happen? Right. And I think that that's where traditionally that's where the churches and the, the religious institutions should be leading that. Um, they are not, and to the degree they're not, they're losing the next generation. The next generation is like, well, you guys are irrelevant. Mm -hmm. So, we're, you know, we're out the door, and then they're just left with the old, you know, gray-haired people and just, and just preaching to the choir, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. Uh, and that's a phenomenon you're seeing everywhere in all faiths, because the, the degree that you can take your, that faith foundation, because it's a, it's a hardship, you're taking on, it's an act of love to go out to society and say, you know what, I'm going to take the pain and the burden and still try to make things better anyway, uh, uh, you know, yeah. and for the, for the sake of, the, of improving. And that's something that really should be fostered in our religious institutions. Uh, and that's their role. And to the degree they're failing at that role, um, then they're becoming irrelevant. So that's really the challenge for those faith leaders. And to the degree they're not doing it, we need other areas, other venues for people to get together, people of faith to get together, talk with each other and say, hey, you know what? We both care about the world and our country. Mm -hmm. How do we work together to make something happen that is unique and different? Maybe other people think is impossible or not. I mean, even this conversation, how many people would, would immediately say, oh, yeah, this, you know, Muslim Republican over here and some, you know, talk show, talk show host, yeah. getting together talking. The more we can do that, that's where the the diversity when diversity is united by a common caring for the country uh, and a common set of values faith values that's when the the discussions and the conversations lead to very positive things it uplifts people hopefully it inspires people to go out and you know and and do things um, i think too much what we do right now is we focus in our country on these very superficial diversity uh, ideas and mm -hmm. um and they are complete failures in fact they divide people and they didn't i mean if all this diversity stuff that that has been adopted in state department the military if it all worked they could have solved afghanistan and, yeah. and pakistan they not, not, it doesn't work at all no uh, <laughs> it doesn't it just it is almost is like a tool to drive more rancor the yes. more diversity the more equitable the more inclusive it's like no the more divided we end up well, I, th I see it as there's a I had a, my degree was in business administration and there was a uh, the the uh, analogy that in uh, that uh, of a, the the business executive sitting in his office obsessing about the how the pencils were arranged on his desk while his business is collapsing, <laughs> you know, which is the idea that when you have reached the sort of the limit of your competence, you end up hyper obsessing over the things that you can, you know, put your hand on and, and because you just can't, don't want to deal with the bigger issue yeah. that's that's the, the, your, you know, your whole business needs reworked. Uh, and that's really what I see with a lot of this diversity inclusion, you look, particularly when it's schools and whatnot. Mm -hmm. It's like, hey, you know, we spend how much per kid and what's the output? Yeah. You know, we spend how much for security? I mean, and what's the result? What is if you measure it against result? It's terrible. Yeah, and so what is. do we do? Let's create a distraction of something over here that we can all obsess over so that, you know, to make it look like we're doing something and, and dominate, the, you know, overshout the conversation about how virtuous we are mm. to avoid the fact that we just have no clue what we're doing and we need fired and we need to put more competent people in charge. Yeah, I think that's so well said because when people see we're spending $20,000 per kid, I could send my kid to the really good private school for that. And, you know, where does that money go? What does it do? Nothing. As we wrap up, uh, I wanted to ask you, like, uh, I would think running for Congress uh, was, I don't know, mixture enlightening, discouraging, um, 
What are your well, takeaways from well, the process? Well, for me, several things. One, um, you know, there is this idea. It's su validating my idea, which is that the more you get out and the more you actually try to serve people, the more that resonates with folks. Now, obviously, that didn't ultimately lead to success in the ballot box, but it doesn't mean it wasn't successful in terms of going all over the state and the county parties mm -hmm. and talking to folks. And, and, um, and I think that that's you know, creating the, that grassroots movement, which is ultimately what I want, it, is mm -hmm. start planting the ideas of how we start shifting things back to a more constructive direction of working together and focusing on you know, servant leadership and that sort of thing. That's not going to be done in one election cycle. Um, and second of all, uh, so that, uh, that ultimately the end result was a tribal result, essentially, because what happened was Trump lost in Texas. He put, he, you know, it's like, oh, the media came out. Oh, he's going to be a loser. He's lost his influence. He's lost an influence. And suddenly that became the critical decision. Yeah. Essentially, a it wasn't whether Mike Carey is a good, no. the best candidate or whatever. It was, do you want to make Trump get embarrassed or not? And that Correct. was the final decision at the very last three or four days, which is unfortunate for Mike Carey. It's unfortunate for all the other candidates because, you know, I'm not the only. There was a lot of other people that are very competent, very mm -hmm. qualified. And it really wasn't the decision wasn't about the competence and qualifications or even what are these people are going to do for the district. Right. That wasn't the deciding factor. It's, you know, do we want Trump to be embarrassed or not? Did the loss of Mojo? That became the thing. So it's ultimately a tribal uh, decision. And I think that that's unfortunate. Uh, you know, I think it's unfortunate for everybody involved. I think it's unfortunate for Trump, for the candidates, for the for the district, when that's how we are making decisions uh, about who represents you know, and, and how power works in our country. Um, so I'm still going to keep fi fighting to change that. Uh, you know, I think that the way to do this is you got to work with the people you have. Obviously, if Mike Carey wins, he's going to represent our district. We have to all want, you know, whoever represents the district to be successful and do it well and advise them and work with them and so forth. Um, but we have to also, I, I think, be very, you know, and I was very clear about this throughout the whole campaign is like, hey, I'm for America first nationalism, for servant leadership. I'm not for this sort of tribalist approach, which the Democrats do. I mean, right now, if you're a, a dean in, in Franklin County, you can be elected judge no matter, even if you're terrible yeah. and you have no idea what you're doing. Right. Uh, so this kind of tribal approach, it basically leads to you get the least competent people uh, in aggregate running our government. And that's we have we have that. None of us have an interest in that. No. We all have to work together to turn that around. We do. Well, uh, you're doing more than your part, and I appreciate you as a man. I appreciate your heart and your desire. I appreciate you coming in today to share your ideas with us, and we'll have you back to sure. talk Thank about you it very more much. another time. Omar Tarazi, and a uh, lot of thoughtful things to say. Uh, feel free to send me an email, bruce at 989theanswer.com. You can leave us a voicemail at 844-TALK-989. I'd love to hear your feedback. Omar, thank you very much. Thank back you Back with much. the conclusion of the Bruce Woolley Show next on The Answer. Well, this afternoon, in the aftermath of Joe Biden's 3.45 p.m. address, or eh, 4 p.m.-ish address to the nation yesterday, uh, Governor Mike DeWine, not to be outdone, will take to the podium and be joined by Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff to speak at 3.30. Wow, you could have seen this one coming a mile away because, of course, Ohio's counties are awash in red labeling, high concentration of COVID tests, tests, not hospitalizations, not ICU admissions, not deaths, tests. Now, my tone, I am sure, 
conveys my skepticism over the severity of this. Um, I am certainly respectful, mindful of the number of people who have died of COVID. It is a very, very, very sad thing. And I don't want to be uh, perceived as insensitive at all to people's suffering. But I also know that you can exist or you can live. And to me, um, strapping a mask on my face, not being able to affirm other people with a smile, not being able to really see a person's countenance, to be able to read their body language, to tell if they're troubled, uh, if they might need uh, a listening ear, uh, a pat on the back. Those are all things that we surrender when we kowtow in fear to a virus that, however many numbers they give us, however dauntingly they pose it, is a virus that 99.9 plus percent of the people survive. So you're going to get the vaccine lecture today. You're going to get the guilt trip today. Uh, Already, um, Bruce Vanderhoff said, you know, we're not at our peak. It's going to get worse. Get vaccinated. I also don't believe that he's ill-intentioned. I don't believe the governor is ill-intentioned. I just believe much in the spirit of what we just talked about with Omar Tarazi, who was kind enough to come in and articulate his vision for how we bridge these apparently unbridgeable gaps between us. Uh, It would behoove our leaders to, rather than view those who are skeptical of a vaccine, hesitant to a vaccine, resistant to a vaccine, it would behoove them to allow us at least the courtesy of exercising our freedom to decline without guilt, without shame, without impugning our intelligence. The governor doesn't do that near to the degree that our federal officials do. We live in a country that is bounteous in many ways. Part of that bounty is that we have the we had the technology to develop what scientists say is a weapon against COVID-19. How effective a weapon? I don't think we really know yet. I think we all had hopes it would be very, very, very effective. The numbers as they continue to come in indicate that less so than we originally thought. I believe strongly, and I'm not a scientist, but I just tell you, I believe strongly that those of us who are fortunate enough to recover from COVID and have our bodies adjust to that virus, be on alert for that virus, I think we'll make it through this. But my perspective is one of someone who understands that there is a God in the universe who is sovereign over all things, including the number of days I'm on this planet. I could leave this office this afternoon and not make it home safely. I don't think that'll happen, but it could happen. And if it would happen, I wouldn't want to spend my last minutes under the delusion that I could have changed that outcome. Whether it's by wearing a mask, getting a shot, staying six feet away from people that I care about and like talking to. Uh, 
I'm just going to live every minute as if it were an opportunity to express my gratitude for being blessed with people who care about me and who I can perhaps lift a bit. And I think that's the spirit of what Omar was talking about with us as we try to solve the political issues of the day. So I hope you have a great day. I hope you make a difference. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.